Hello, and welcome to Sacred Adventure Begin, an inquisitive space where we explore topics like gaining wisdom, travel, yoga, meditation, dance, art, and following our soul-guided paths. I'm your host, Emily, from gettingintoit.com, and together we'll focus on enjoying, sharing, and interpreting our sacred adventures and how to embody these lessons in our daily lives. Let's begin. Hey everybody. So today's kind of cool because um, I get to do exactly what I set out to do with this podcast, which is to take a um, spiritual theory or technique and ground it in daily practice, um, sacred adventure, uh, making everything sort of um, meaningful or spiritual. So Uh, In the last episode, I mentioned that my non-judgment practice was something that really helped me get through some of the um, more difficult experiences I was having when I first went to India. And I wanted to give a little more clarity around the idea of non-judgment, and then I thought we could all do a guided meditation together. So I'll kind of launch in from there uh, with a quote from the Dalai Lama. When asked, what is love? He responded, what is love? Love is the absence of judgment, which I thought was super cool. And in this case, when I'm talking about judgment, I don't mean like uh, a one out of 10 scorecard, (laughs) Um, but determining whether or not something is right or wrong. Um, That's kind of what we're speaking about when we're talking about judgment but also making something right or wrong. So when you look out in the world and you look around and you see everyone's doing everything so incorrectly and it's so irresponsible of them and this and that, that's judgment, certainly speaking. Um, But judgment also is about our programming. So the way that we think about ourselves, uh, the way we think about our world, Um, So if I have decided, for example, that I am um, so super wise, that is also a judgment. Uh, The same as if I had decided that I had no wisdom and was just starting out and everything. Um, This is a judgment that affects how I behave, how I exist in the world, what I'm willing to talk about, what I'm not willing to talk about, all those things. Those are also judgments. So You can kind of think of judgment as maybe also holding a belief about something, although um, in this instance and in the example that I'm going to talk to you about, it really is more or less about making something right or wrong. And you could also think about this too, like judgment is also like a very protective kind of thing that our brain likes to do. For example, like when you're a kid and you touch the stove and the stove is hot and then you decide like, no more touching the stove. I didn't like that. That's a judgment that you form. And we're sort of like hardwired as people to avoid situations that are unpleasant to us, (laughs) which is like totally natural, right? Because the body wants to avoid pain, but pain or suffering are are sort of uh, constants in our existence. So 
it's interesting all the things that the body and the mind do to attempt to keep us safe. And the mind in terms of judgment is like a super computer of problem solving. Like if your brain has decided that um, you're too fragile to risk anything, then you're probably not very likely to pursue maybe a dream that you have or um, to take a chance on, on trying something new. So it's, it's interesting how those things work out. And I actually was lost in, in a lot of judgment and, and clinging when I started my meditation practice. And I came to the practice in a place of extreme pain. Um, if you all don't know about, or if you haven't heard me talk about my back injury, I had a really terrible back injury, which I'll give you the details of a little bit more later. But I was heading into surgery and I ran into a former student of mine and she started talking about this meditation teacher that she went to see and how she learned about her past life, which is hilarious. And she was telling me all about it. And I was like, wow, that actually sounds like something like that might help me kind of understand what's going on with my back. Um, at this point, I had been in injury um, and in constant pain for about four years and trying to do just about anything from um, physical therapy to chiropractor, all of it, um, I, I saw a lot of <laughs> allopathic uh, practitioners as well as holistic practitioners and nothing seemed to be working, so it did look like I was going to have to have surgery. And um, when you're going into surgery for a back issue, <laughs> it's sort of nerve-wracking because the doctors sit you down and they're like, all right, we're going to get into your spine <laughs> and um, we are not going to guarantee anything. Like, I mean, you could become paralyzed. The, we could do the surgery. You could pay all this money for it and uh, nothing can change. There's like a really low, um, you know, success rate here, but you've tried everything else. So this is where we're going. And it just kind of got me panicky. So I took a chance. I decided to go see the lady, <laughs> the meditation lady, who is, uh, if you all don't know about her, Dr. Rebecca Martin from the Atmaram Ashram in Louisville, Kentucky. And uh, yeah, I, I went in there just because I needed somebody to talk to about like my fear of death, my fear of the surgery, feeling stuck and, and lost in the pain of the injury. And I, like I said, I'll tell you a little bit more about it, but the pain because I had a little piece of um, bone fragment stuck to my sciatic nerve, I was in constant sort of buzzing sensation that would go from just like a sort of annoying buzzing to like shooting um, inescapable <laughs> nerve pain. And, it, and there was no rhyme or reason of when or where this would happen. Like I'd be in bed sound asleep and then I would wake up just like... Or I'd be trying to walk and something would jam out and I would have so much pain shooting down my leg that it felt like I had broken or torn something. In fact, actually, one of the first um, times I was being treated for the injury, it showed up in um, symptoms of a hamstring tear. So, yeah. Anyway, when I went to see Dr. Martin. I started telling her about all of this and then she like, stopped me two sentences in and she was like, are you breathing? <laughs> Oh, and I was not. And the very first thing she taught me was how to control my breath. And that was that whole like first session with her. 
was just getting a pulse on, on the pain and um, having the really wonderful experience of being able to talk about my life or talk about my body or talk about what, my, what I was going through what my body was doing, um, and had just having someone compassionate, like listen to the whole story. I I'd talked to doctors about like my symptoms, but nobody really seemed to care about like the story. Like how did this happen? Where did it start? Like all that sort of thing. So, um, yeah, I, I learned how to breathe and then she helped me, um, talk to my inner child, uh, about the surgery and also talk to my body's awareness and I'll be doing an episode uh, about that, um, about speaking to the body, uh, to the subconscious body a little bit later. But it, it was so profound. Like I, I went from having constant like heart palpitations to just like with that deep breathing, being able to slow my heart rate. And it was really funny because just a couple days after um, this session I had with her, I was in the surgery room and they had me hooked up to all the machines and I started doing the deep breathing, which was just breathing in for a count of four and then holding for a second and breathing out for the count of four and then pausing. So pausing on between the inhales and exhales and tuning into the experiences of the body and calming the mind and just sort of taking inventory of everything. Um, and it was kind of funny because I kept like the machine kept buzzing that my heart rate was low, <laughs> but then my oxygen level was high. And so it was, it was interesting just to see how much, not control, but like how much influence, um, our awareness of our breath has on the experiences of our body. So as I mentioned, I did have the surgery and I wasn't really allowed to do much of anything for the first year um, after the surgery. So I was still teaching um, art at Bellarmine during this time. In fact, I was uh, employed full time. I took a week off um, after the surgery. I, I scheduled it over the break, um, over Christmas break. So I'd have plenty of time and then I had a, a week and then I came back. But uh during that time, almost all of my like studio practice, I couldn't, I just couldn't sit anymore after teaching. I, I needed to lay down. Um, I couldn't really make art. I couldn't do any physical movement. In fact, for a long time, they were advising me not to walk too much. And I, at that point, had been through so much that I was going to do anything that the doctors said. It's like, yes, tell me what to do. I will do it. I've tried everything. Nothing works. So let's just get this one thing really, really right. Um, yeah. And so during that recovery, I was filling a lot of my time by going to the ashram, um, the Atmaran ashram in Louisville, like two to three times a week for Dharma talks, which are like more or less truth talks. Right. Um, so I was introduced to a number of like theories and practices there, like Tai Chi, singing mantra, um, you know, theories. <laughs> we got into a little bit of like quantum physics, which I will admit I'm not a fan of and don't currently understand. So if you dig on that, that's awesome. Good for you. Um, but like Buddhist theories, Christian theories, all sort of, all the sort of ways that we connect with our spirituality, with ourselves, with our bodies. It was it was actually like a time that I look back really fondly on, even though like all the other parts of my life were sort of at a standstill. I, I was engaging more and more and more with myself every day, like spiritually speaking with my breath, like in meditation, all of that sort of thing. But I remember this one 
um, day, we were reading, uh, I think it was Jack Kornfield's um, book, The Wise Heart, but it, it might have been also we read Deepak Chopra's How to Know God. Um, and I came away from that, like, Dharma talk on that. And I, like, with the revelation that, like, no matter what experiences we are having, like, they might be good, they might be bad, there's a part of us that's, like, constant, like, under that. Um, which is kind of cool, right? Like, there's a part of our existence that isn't labeling something good or bad or isn't stuck in the pain. It's the person experiencing the pain. And it came at, like, the single most perfect time in my life because at that time, like I said, I was I was working full-time, but it was an interim position, and the university hadn't decided if they wanted to um, make the full-time permanent position, which would have been tenure track, um, into a sculpture position so that I could keep it or um, make it digital. And it was kind of clear, at least from the beginning, that they were they were steering more toward the digital because everyone else that they interviewed was that. Um, but they did do me the service, <laughs> the compliment of interviewing me for that as well, which was so flattering, uh, especially after all the service that I had done for the university. But I, I think it would have been like a really difficult time in my life to be going through like recovering from a spinal injury, um, like unable to connect with like my dance life and my art life, applying for a job that at least from the outside looked like it was like, you know, the biggest thing to ever happen for me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's funny when I think about it that way. But, like, I think that would have been, like, too much. That would have been a breaking point for me. Except at this point, I had already um, identified all the parts that were at work here. So in these theories, we have what is called, like, the ego, which is our mind's construct of the self. The self is separate from everything else. So uh, all the ways that I see myself, like, as, as a teacher or as a dancer, all of those contracts are part of the ego, like kind of more or less who I am. And seeing the ego as something that is separate from the awakened consciousness. And certainly it's a vehicle through which like I experience the world, just like the body. The body is separate from the ego too. The body is also a vehicle through which I experience the world, the universe, um, physical reality. But there is a consciousness that is in both those two things that I am also connected to, which is separate from them and which can hold anything. Isn't that cool? So I can have any experience and that consciousness is there. The ego is still there. The ego might be frightened. The ego might be afraid. The ego might be experiencing pain or the body, worse, the body might be experiencing pain. But there is a consciousness there that is separate from those two things, which is like so cool. So like for us, for for us beings, <laughs> I guess us awake or awakening beings, um, it's really important to differentiate between our conception of reality and like in that and that awareness. So it, it's also interesting too, like how much judgment plays a part in um, what we consider to be reality. So <laughs> this is kind of where the ego comes in, right? So for me, like Emily, 
if you came to my house right now and you gave me a beautiful oak tree to plant in my yard, I might be happy about the oak tree and I might thank you for it. But if I had just told you I was like deathly allergic to oaks, and then you gave me an oak tree knowing that I might conjecture that you weren't really giving me a gift and that we're not actually friends, which is kind of funny. So the gift of the oak tree, the experience itself, here, Emily, I'm giving you an oak tree, is totally neutral. <laughs> Even though we could like argue intentions from other people onto most situations, the experience itself is neutral when it comes in, when we experience it. It is the like ego and all of the thinking about it that makes it like either good or bad. So like how we choose to judge it and then how we base our actions or feelings around those judgments, that's like the action of the ego. <laughs> that is like not the action of the consciousness. The consciousness is there for all of those things. The consciousness is there in the body as you take that oak tree into your hands and say thank you and use your voice to say thank you. The, or no thank you, oh my God, I'm about to die. <laughs> the consciousness is there in the ego as it experiences the whole situation and tries to preserve itself. <laughs> and the consciousness is also like, it's just, it's there. It's part of it. It's yeah. Yeah. So on a heart level that I wasn't going to be getting the position, um, which is fine. Like the university needed someone in there who could teach more digital classes. And that honestly, I would have probably force myself to learn how to do, but it wouldn't have been something that is like true to who I am. So I could have chosen to feel depressed or to feel like everything I had worked for was being threatened, but I like, and these thoughts definitely happened in my head, but I had learned at that point that I could rest in non-judgment. So I could rest in awareness, which is super cool. It's like a rest. It's a break from those types of thoughts. Like I could see all the factors in the situation had like little to nothing to do with me. Like the needs of the department had nothing to do with my value as a, a teacher, like my age, my experience level, like as a woman in her thirties who was being considered for a job against women who were in their mid forties, it, it was really, that wasn't something I could control. It could not control my age. So not getting the position did not mean that I was a bad artist, a bad educator. It's simply like literally when I didn't get it, it released me from years of trying to climb the academic ladder and like wasting time focused on like peer reviews, specifically academic peer reviews, which when you only have a department of three people can become very political, but, um, but the, yeah, so it also released me from years of bureaucracy. I sort of smirk a little bit about it, like <laughs> about not getting that job and what a gift it has been in my life. Like it would have also severely limited my time spent in meditation and art making and, and dancing. And honestly, I think it would have been impossible to love like my life. If I was doing that, it would literally just be because it was something that I should be doing at that time. So it is really good that I didn't get that job. But um, yeah, let's talk about resting in awareness. So my favorite book um, that talks about this is Jack Kornfield's The Wise Heart. So prior to meditating, the me that I used to be would have seen this like as my big chance, like I said before, and would have spent so many nights awake analyzing everything I had said during interviews or spending countless hours like pouring over the words in my CV, probably more hours 
go into anyone's like CV or cover letter, like <laughs> into writing those things than are ever spent reading them. Like, let's be real, y'all. Or trying to invent like new ways to like prove myself. Like, how could I, <laughs> like, yeah, how could I get noticed kind of questions. Like, have you ever noticed how anxiety, like, related thoughts like that, like, loop around in your head? Like, you start thinking about, like, okay, can I make my CV better? And then you're like, what could I do? Or, like, I could do this. Or who should I call? Or who should I ask about? Like, just, it's a total loop. And it's sort of, it's so destructive. Like, as one end, just another just pops back up. And honestly, like, if this voice belonged to another person, we would be so annoyed by them. But when it's in our own heads, it's so hard to step outside of it, which is where a non-judgment practice is super, super, super helpful. So I personally started resting in observation, meaning taking time to just quiet and to look at what's coming up. Um, I personally love visualizations so much visualization meditations because it, it gets the part of my brain that's active, that's always thinking about things, that's like longing for experiences, that doesn't want to be bored. It gets that part engaged, at least in the beginning. And then the awareness part that isn't creating thoughts, that isn't experiencing emotions, that's just connected and being can come forward after I've engaged the brain. That's at least how it works for me. So, um, I'm going to share with you a meditation practice that I enjoy using. Um, if now is not a great time to lay down and close your eyes, please don't. You can, you can just not close your eyes or you can skip to your next podcast. Um, but yeah, I'm going to guide you through a quick meditation just to give you kind of a taste of how this works. Um, yeah, so this is my fancy way of saying if you're driving, please don't close your eyes. Uh, but for the rest of us, go ahead and find a comfortable seat and begin to focus on your breath. As you deepen your inhale and your exhale, notice how the breath feels in your body. Maybe as you inhale, you notice your ribs lifting away from your torso. Maybe in your exhale, you notice how your shoulder blades roll down your back. Actually, let's do that once together. Let's inhale and lift our shoulders up toward our ear. And exhale, releasing them down. Continue breathing deeply and bring your awareness to your body. What do you notice in your feet, in your knees, in your hips, in your belly, your chest, the backside of your body, your shoulders? What do you notice in your neck, in your jaw, in your chin? What do you notice in your ears, in your forehead? Mm -hmm. 
What do you notice? We're going to now imagine as we exhale, our breath becomes cloud. And in that cloud, we're breathing away any thoughts or emotions as they come up. We'll inhale together. Scanning, what are the thoughts floating around in my head right now? Exhale a single thought. Look at it. Let's do that again. We'll inhale, noticing any emotions, any judgments, any situations we're thinking about. And exhale, imagine you're breathing a cloud out into the sky. Watching that thought float up, 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 away. Continue using your inhale. Scan and your exhale to release the thought. Become really curious about your thoughts. Many of them will fall into the category of repeating the past. So you may be ruminating on a situation that you experienced, maybe a memory, similar memory about that person or that feeling will pop up. Maybe you're doing, I like to call it, anxious future planning. <laughs> thinking of your to-do list, you're going over what you're gonna have for dinner, read those thoughts out. Watch them blow away from you in the sky. potential situations and emotions come up for you. I want you also to notice how the body responds to them as the thought comes up. So you inhale, you notice what's going on for you, and as you exhale, notice where tension is releasing in your body. Maybe it's from your neck, maybe you furrowed your brow, Maybe you're gripping your steering wheel really tightly or clutching. Notice if there are any particular themes to your thoughts. You might even find it helpful to categorize them. Past thinking planning, worry. Whatever helps you to see them. And exhale. Watch them move away from you into the distance.
And as you see your thoughts move away from yourself, I want you to ask, who is this self? Who is this existence now that is separate from these thoughts? Take a second just to observe the observer. You can gently come back to normal awareness now. If you are lying down, open your eyes. Ah, take a big deep breath in. And exhale. I like doing meditations like this. I'm just really sinking in and, and looking at what's here, what's coming up for me. I do another version of this when I can really lay down. And I imagine myself like in a beautiful lagoon. And somehow I'm miraculously able to breathe underwater. <laughs> And I'm, I'm inside the lagoon and I'm looking at all the plants floating around and all the beautiful fish and there's a waterfall and I can see the like impact of the water from underneath. And then I imagine my thoughts, um, like exhaling my thoughts out as like bubbles and they like float up away from me and then pop on the surface. And I like to, I like to relax that way. Um, another, another version of this I have is where I imagine that I'm sitting beside a busy road, like at a coffee shop, having a delicious beverage, of course, super, super comfortable in an actual like comfortable chair, not those horrible chairs coffee shops have outside, <laughs> the metal ones, I don't like those. And I uh, sit there and I imagine that each of the cars is a thought in my mind. And I sit there and I observe, observe the thoughts as they, as they drive by. And I often notice that uh, there are cars that loop the block. <laughs> so this is really how non-judgment starts, or at least this is how it started for me by allowing myself to become the observer. And if you aren't trying to like stop the flood of thoughts or the river emotion of emotions, um, sometimes when you don't try to stop them, they actually eventually you find that they they do stop or that you're no longer aware of them when you shift your awareness from being the thought or being in the emotion to being the one who is experiencing them or the one who you might say is observing them. You'll also find with some practice that you're able to do this more and more and that you're also able to find like deeper truths at work in the things that you like that used to upset you. <laughs> so if you've never heard the phrase like I am, this is the like kind of I am seed or the I am idea. So instead of the temptation would be to add to that, right? To be like, I am Emily or I am happy or I am in love or whatever it is. Instead, you just embrace the experience of being. So, you, so instead of I am a thing, you, you just say I am or you just are. It's, it's beautiful. I'd also like to acknowledge that there are a lot of texts out there that to more or less tout a non-judgment practice as the pathway to spiritual awareness. 
And um, so many traditions talk about this. I'm going to read you a beautiful little section of a text called A Course in Miracles. So it says, and this is on page 101, the ego uses the body to conspire against your awareness. And because the ego realizes that it is, quote, enemy, can end them both merely by recognizing that they are not part of you. They join in the attack together. This is perhaps the strangest perception of it all. If you consider what it really involves, the ego, which is not real, attempts to persuade the awareness, which is real, that the mind is the ego's learning device. And further, that the body is more real than the awareness is. No one in his right awareness could possibly believe this, and no one in his right awareness does believe it. Here then, the one answer of the Holy Spirit to all the questions the ego raises. You are a child of God, a priceless part of his kingdom, which he created as part of him. Nothing else exists, and only this is real. You have chosen a sleep in which you have had a bad dream, but the sleep is not real, and God calls you to awake. So just a little note um, to end this episode on is a note on fear. Um, I'm going to do a whole episode at some point on releasing fear um, and dealing with fear in the future. But you'll notice that once you're separate from judging or from clinging uh, from these types of experiences, you may find that things that you would normally worry about no longer hold power over you. So you can lose a job and still be able to feel like a good person. <laughs> but more than that, like, okay, so that didn't happen, but I'm more than this job. Um, you can still feel pain and not get lost in it, which has been so instrumental for me to learn how to do. Um, recovering from my back surgery still happens. I still occasionally experience a little bit of pain or tension or tightness, but it's so, so, so liberating to know that no matter what um, I'm experiencing, there's an awareness within me that's just plain always there for that. And it's the like kind of presence where, as I mentioned last episode, where you're experiencing something you really don't like. Like somebody just took your translator and went to go get themselves in the air conditioning and left you more or less high and dry. And you, you're feeling anger. You're aware of anger arising in yourself. And then you choose whether or not to act on it or how to act on it to serve the best interests. So it really is freedom. It's, it's wonderful. It's the choice. When you engage in a non-judgment practice, you begin to give yourself options. You begin to, yeah, to have power and to become aware. It's wonderful. So I would love it if you would, as my viewer, if you enjoyed this episode, rate or review the podcast so it helps other people find it or share it on social media. But also, I would love it if you reached out to tell me that you also have a non-judgment practice and what that's meant to you or how it's freed you up. 
I would love to hear your stories. So you can reach me at emily at gettingintoit at gmail.com um, or on my website, gettingintoit.com. I'd love to hear from you. So, so, so much love right now. I hope that you have an amazing, amazing day.